we are joined by baseball writer for the Associated Press, Ronald Blum. I'm Jack Roach here with Eli Keeler. Ronald, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure that right now is especially busy for you right now, considering the news we've just got recently that the MLB lockout is over. And, you know, just seeing how these events have transpired, what was kind of the biggest thing that the two parties between the players and the owners, they just couldn't seem to agree on? Well, it was, this was pretty simple. It was a fight over money, com- complicated by the hatred they have for each other and uh, their differing versions of the game. The players think the game is about them. The owners think that uh, the, without them, the game wouldn't exist. So it was a clash years in the making with the bitterness of the Chris Bryant grievance, the revenue-sharing grievance, the shortened season grievance, the slow free agent markets, all mixed in with uh, a rookie negotiator for the union and contempt of from each side toward the other. Yeah, that's a that's that's really interesting when you when you have something something is you know as big as baseball and it's just kind of a fight between money. It's it's I don't know, it's kind of sad from a fan's point of view to watch that go down. Um, but moving on a little bit to some of the rules that were agreed upon. So universal DH, how do you think this affects pitchers? And not, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I don't think that pitchers particularly work on hitting a great deal of time. But do you think this actually increases pitchers skill level in the future? Yeah, for a few of them, like Jacob deGrom works on hitting. There are always a few pitchers, but for the most part, its biggest effect is it'll move a couple of veteran players who no longer have any foot speed to the National League, where they were pretty much in the American League. Some teams will use the DH spot to rotate players and bats. Others will have a David Ortiz or Nelson Cruz type in that spot so it'll create a few high price jobs but that's the main impact on pitchers not so much uh bats get in the way for most of them and they don't really think about it just a moment ago we were talking about albert pujols and how his uh job pool just doubled um he's 42 years old 21 away from 700 do you think he gets there and is he going to be on an mlb team come april I think so, and obviously with the DH going to the National League, that kind of opened up the St. Louis Cardinals as a possible destination for him. But uh, it sounds like he wants to play one more year, and among 30 teams, I'm sure he'll find a job somewhere. Yeah, and and so with the... I, I have a personal fascination with the MLB situation. They handle the luxury tax. Most Most sports leagues go with a hard cap i personally am a fan of the hard cap do you and they just signed a deal so this won't be for several years but do you think the hard cap is ever in the future of the mlb and do you think that this luxury tax really i i'm pretty sure it was updated do you think this update of the luxury tax really affects the teams in any significant way uh well certainly going from uh 210 to 230 that frees up a lot more spending at the very top and then 
the first three thresholds, just they stay the same or the first two above. So 230 is the first threshold, then 250, then 270, and now a new fourth threshold aimed at Steve Cohn goes in there with penalties of 80, 90, and 110%. So the main worry is among some of the clubs that Steve Cohn would spend a ton of money and outspend a lot of teams who are trying to retain their players. But as far as a hard cap, I don't see it anytime it's soon in baseball. They fought that fight in 94, 95. The players won. And the owners are content for the soft cap of a luxury tax. And it's not worth the fight to shut down the game for months and months and maybe a year to get a hard cap. Jack Roach and Eli Keeler here with Ronald Blum. And following up on that question, going from 210 to 230, how much does this hurt or impact some of those smaller market teams that seem to show some resistance to, to the increase in the luxury tax? Uh, I, th- I don't think it hurts the small teams as much as helps the big teams because a player who's they can't afford would go somewhere. So if they can afford him at, let's pick around number 10 million, someone will bid 12 million now before there might have been a bunch of middle team tier teams bidding for him but now with the extra 20 million to spend the yankees mets dodgers cubs astros might get more involved for a big player or two so what this does is directs a certain extra percentage of players to the very biggest spenders, but the people at the bottom wouldn't retain those players anywhere. Anyway, it just changes where they migrate to. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, how you, that's, that's very interesting. You say that, um, I want to focus a little bit on the shift here. Do you, so I've heard it defined as two players to the right of second base, two players to the left of second base, I just kind of have a question on that second place, second place spot. How, how uh, far can you, you know, push your second baseman back? How far can the shortstop come over? And how does this lack of a shift, you know, lack of a third baseman in right field, really affect lefty hitters specifically? Well, this is going to be for the twenty twenty three season. Nothing for this year. Okay. So. The exact rule hasn't been developed yet. What the collective bargaining agreement does is allows this joint committee to, within 45 days notice, put in a shift rule, put in a pitch clock. So since that's going to be for 2023, this committee hasn't determined how it's going to write the rule. The one talked most about is two infielders on each side of second base. They could put in a restriction where you have to stand on the dirt that just remains to be seen. So my guess is we won't know for sure until late summer or more likely into the fall. Ronald, you mentioned Steve Cohen a minute ago, and I want to take it to the Bronx because we're at Fordham University. We're here in the Bronx. Now that free agency has opened up again, what can we expect to see the Yankees do in the coming weeks in terms of you know, improving their roster? For the Yankees, I think we'll expect to see the Yankees get a shortstop. Brian Cashman's been pretty clear 
that they think Glaber Torres' future is at second base, not at shortstop, whether that means they go after a Correa, after a story. We'll have to see in the next week or so. There are other solutions too. There's trade solutions. There's always thought that with the left-handed bat, Freddie Freeman might be a possibility, but it sounds like either he's going to stay with Braves or go to Dodgers is the most likely outcome for him, but nothing's been decided yet. And the Yankees certainly have money to spend. They can now with uh, 230, that gives them more flexibility and they know their roster needs fixing. Yeah. Um, I, I always love to hear, you know, stuff about my Yankees. I, I am a big fan of Freddie Freeman, even though it's probably not likely, likely that he comes around, but you know, you never know. Um, but kind of adding on to that, if you had to pick, you know, probably the biggest, a couple of the biggest names in free agency and your predictions on where they're going to go, maybe not including Freddie Freeman, but anybody else, where, what are those names for you? Yeah, in the names, uh, certainly you have Freeman and Correa are the two prime ones. Trevor Story is still out there. We had Anderton Simmons uh, finalizing the deal with the Cubs and Carlos Rodon with the Giants. Kershaw stayed with the Dodgers late last night. That has to be finalized. We'll have to see what the situation is with Michael Conforto, uh, whether he stays with the Mets or finds a better offer somewhere else. Nick Castellanos is still out there. Those are really the big, big names, but there's a tier of probably a hundred second line players who could help teams like pitchers like Chris Martin. There's Zach Davies, Danny Duffy, and all these people. You just, there's so many possibilities and everyone just hit the go button on Thursday night. Then it's really hard to guess where these guys will shake out. I'm glad that you mentioned Michael Conforto because the Mets have been very active throughout the offseason. Steve Cohen really emptying his pockets to get some big names. Do you see them being active beyond some of the guys that just, you know, it's a a matter of if they re-sign or not. Are they going to be in on, on some of the top names that are still out there on the market? Well, on the very top names, I don't see it just because they have Alonzo at first base. They have Lindor at shortstop, so that rules out the two big shortstops and Freeman. Uh, but they know what they need. The more pitching will certainly help. They have to make a decision on Conforto. And I would suspect the Mets will get some pretty moderate to big names before the next 10 days are out. Yeah, I... I... You know, I've always been a Yankee fan, but it's interesting to see what happens with the Mets as well. Um, following up with that, what do you what do you think? How do you think this new twelve team playoff format, you know, affects baseball? And do we really think? Are are you do you like the new change, or what's your opinion on it? Yeah, I, I'm not greatly in favor of it. I always thought. The fewer teams in the postseason, the more you prioritize the 162. But I can see the reasoning for it. I think the biggest effect will be probably lowering by three or four four wins the bottom of the playoff entry. So in theory, that should lead to one or two or three or four more teams not trading off people as the 
trade deadline approaches at the end of July and perhaps acquiring. That certainly is the intent of the reason they're doing this. Baseball doesn't want 10, 12 teams shedding players as the deadline approaches. So perhaps this knocks it down to eight or 10. Ronald, thank you so much for your time. I want to ask you one more while we've still got you. We've got some indication that the all-star game could be decided by a home run derby instead of extra innings. Do you have any insight to give us on this? And, you know, how exciting could this be to, to see a game decided by a home run derby? Well, it also depends what time of night. If it's 12, 10 a.m., I don't know how many people <laughs> see it. But the reasoning is that managers have pressure on the All-Star game to pretty much use every available player, perhaps one or two who they're holding out, especially a pitcher who might be starting in two or three days hence. So by doing that, they get to the ninth inning. If they go extras, they don't have any available bodies around. And obviously they don't want to wind up in the situation they did in Milwaukee years ago where they had to call it a tie. So I think Justin Turner may have been the first one to suggest this a few years ago. And uh, yeah, buried on page 98 of uh, the Memorandum of Understanding was that they would uh, break uh, extra inning ties in the All-Star game with this home run derby format to be determined by an agreement between MLB and the Players Association. Ronald, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Ronald Blum, baseball writer for the Associated Press. Again, thank you and have a good morning. You're welcome. Have a good day.